This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to get to a UFC fight night, I versus Kelvin Joe main event preview and talk about who missed weight and who didn't. We'll get you up to speed on that. We'll talk to ESPN's Steve Kim about the latest and greatest going on in the world of boxing. Plus, me, 4K Kelly, and old king of bandits, we're going to give you a quarantine corner, things to watch maybe on the old television while you're locked inside. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 1 p.m. East Coast time right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Happy Friday to you. Well, I got to tell you, folks, the fights manana, they are a little bit nubs. Uh, there's a couple of interesting ones worth paying attention to. <laughs> One of the ones I was going to say is actually interesting, and it actually got more interesting, but perhaps not in the way you might imagine. The co-main event for this, I believe, is Marvin Vittori taking on Carl Roberson. Why is it the main event or co-main event this time? Well, they were supposed to fight in Jacksonville. Roberson missed weight and then was hospitalized. And you'll recall Vittori like freaked out on him in the uh, hotel like the next day or something. Remember, there was video of all of this. Okay, uh, great news for you. Roberson missed weight again. <laughs> what? What? Four and a half pounds, too. Like, he wasn't even close. He weighed in at 190 and a half for 185. And again, because it's non-title, they would have given him the allowance. So, one pound extra. He still missed it by three and a half pounds, even with the one pound allowance. You got to be kidding me. Now, I don't know I if he's going to go to... I will say that there, there's a theory floating around right now that he's just trolling Vittori and he's going to make weight still because he did it about 10 minutes into the weigh-in uh, window. Oh, I see. So, so he, he showed up early, missed yeah. it, and the, and now he's going to do it a little bit later? Yeah, something along those lines. So some people think he might be just be trying to troll Vittori. All right. Well, if he's doing that, first of all, it's an epic troll job. If he doesn't do that, it is just outrageously unprofessional. And I don't know how you couldn't be more excited for a Vittori win. I mean, I've got nothing against Roberson on a personal level, but as a professional, to have a fight with a guy – Again, under a circumstance where, you know, Vittori's fought very infrequently and he's trying to get ahead and he's trying to get money. He was railroaded by USADA the whole nine yards, gets this fight. It falls through the cracks because your opponent can't even make it there because he literally falls out at the last possible minute. Then it gets rescheduled and you miss weight again by four and a half pounds. Dude, if he if that is really true, that is seriously just one of the most unbelievable things I've ever. I don't think I've ever seen something like that. Uh and, oh, here's another fight that just fell out. Here we go. Do we have the breaking news alert? Do we have that? Breaking news. Uh, there's another fight that has fallen through. I'm sure you're all quite heartbroken. Derek Minner has been pulled from the card. Uh, this is from uh, Jose Youngs over at MMA Fighting. Here's what he is saying. Uh, Carl Roberson, by the way, I guess weighed in again at 190 and a half. So, no, I don't know if he missed any. I don't know if he retried. Derek Minner, uh, due to health uh, issues preceding today's UFC fight night weigh-in, Derek Minner has been pulled from Saturday's bout with Jordan Griffin. Jordan Griffin, I guess, will no longer have an opponent. Uh, So, now this card will proceed with 10 bouts. So... (laughs) 
<laughs> Real exciting stuff, folks. Uh, you have a main event that's a good fight, but people didn't think should deserve to be a main event. And I think they're right. It's a fine fight. It's just not main event worthy. Your co-main event, the guy in it has missed weight twice. People have been pulled from the card uh, last minute, and you're now down to 10 bouts as a consequence of another gentleman being unable to make weight. You might be able to hear my daughter in there exclaiming. Fun. Fun. Uh, all right. Well, with that in mind, let's just go ahead and, and, uh, and get right to it. So with that, there is, in fact, a main event. Uh, it, it does merit some conversation. So let's do a very brief main event preview, please. It's two very good fighters. I mean, here's the problem with this fight, right? As I said before, the UFC is doing the best they can right now with the resources that they have. And when I say the best they can, yes, they could be paying fighters more and setting up bigger bouts. But I mean, in terms of who's available to fill the rank and file cards that they need to get their money, you know, listen, if you wanted all the cards back and you wanted them under these conditions, you need to be a little bit understanding of what they're going to turn in. That doesn't mean I'm telling you that tomorrow's main event is under normal circumstances, main event worthy because it is not but it's not the worst fight in the world actually it's a fine fight it's a, it's a perfectly fine fight it's just as a main event it's not in keeping with normal standards so i understand folks's rejection of it but i, I just feel like look the ufc what do you what do you want from them you know they can't they, they can't bring their international fighters here by and large so you're going to get what you're going to get. All right. With that being said, Jessica I takes on Cynthia Calvillo in the main event. Jessica stands at 15 and seven with one no contest. Cynthia just eight one and one. So the experience edge clearly goes towards Jessica. Average fight time: 13 and a half minutes for Jessica, 11 and a half minutes for Cynthia. As you know, Cynthia a bit more of a submission prone. You know, she'll snatch a throat now and again, right? So she, that's the kind of thing she's good at. Bit of a height differential. Jessica I, two inches taller, 5'6 to 5'4. Um, Cynthia moving up, so they're ostensibly the same weight. Cynthia has less of a reach, so 66 versus 64. That is not a tremendous reach difference, but it's always a function of how they use it. So Cynthia, shorter, smaller reach. Let's see what kind of role that plays here in the end. Uh, they both stand orthodox, and uh, Cynthia is about one year younger than Jessica. I think they're about, um, let's see if it was 2027, they'd be there. So they're about, uh, I don't know. How old are they? Uh, eight years. Uh, they're 32. Okay. Jessica, I, uh, is strikes landed per minute. 3.79 to Cynthia's 4.12 striking accuracy. 38% for Jessica. That is low to 43 for Cynthia, which is also low, but certainly not as bad. Uh, strikes absorbed per minute, 3.39 for Jessica. So she has a positive differential in striking, but it is not very large. It is only by 0.4 in digits. Uh, uh, Luke, sorry to uh, interrupt there, but considering this is uh, a main event preview, I figure you should know this. Uh, this just came in from Mark Ray Monday. Uh, Jessica I weighs in at 126.25 pounds on her first attempt, over by one fourth pound. I said she is done cutting and doesn't think she can even stand right now. So wait, is the fight off? Like what? Uh, no update on that yet, but apparently she just weighed in. Oh. <laughs> I mean, what are you supposed to do but laugh? I mean, you know, listen, listen, you want fighters to train in a pandemic. You want cards during a pandemic. I mean... You know, Carl Roberson, I won't forgive because that's two. I mean, I'll, I'll throw you the one mulligan, 
but uh, you know, and then and I'll, you know, and also, I mean, listen to Jessica. I, she misses it by if she's one twenty six point two, that means she's missing by just point two because it's a non title main event. So you know, I can not great, obviously, but not you know, she tried is something you could say at least. She tried. Carl Roberson, you know, we're talking about wildly missing weight both times. Uh, but that is funny. That is funny. Wow. And I know folks are going to say, oh, it's unprofessional because other folks are able to make weight during the pandemic. Yeah, I know. I know. Of course, other folks are able to make weight during the pandemic. But to think that everything will go as smoothly when there isn't one in terms of either both matchmaking and folks making weight, I just think is foolish. Wow. And this happened one minute ago. That is funny. All right. Well, let's assume for just a moment that the fight is not off. Because if it's off, that's, wow. <laughs> Cobb, pop quiz. What will I not be watching tomorrow night live? Do you have any guess about what I won't be watching? Uh, UFC Vegas 2? Yeah, I'm going to skip that one live. I mean, I have to watch it for the job, but live? No, I'll, I'll be all right. Anyway. Cynthia getting back to the striking. She also has a positive differential, but almost by a full digit. So uh, a little bit better striking defense, 59% for I 63 for Cynthia, uh, takedowns per 15 minutes, just a half of a takedown for Jessica, nearly two for Cynthia. So let's see what kind of role that plays. If the fight goes forward, striking, uh, excuse me, takedown accuracy about the same 45% to 43 takedown defense. Not great for Jessica 59, much better, but still a little bit low for Cynthia at 69 uh, submission average per 15 minutes 0.7 for Jessica 1.6 for Cynthia the last five fights for Jessica I a win over Aru Zhao a devastating loss to Shevchenko and then all three of these were split decisions but she got them Chukagian, Clark and Feria by contrast you have Cynthia she had a draw against Marina Rodriguez in her last fight and then she beat Courtney Casey Botelio she lost to Carla Esparza and then she had beaten Joanne Calderwood, of course, all of those were at 115, and now she is at 125 pounds. Boy, that is funny. Well, I don't know what your main event is tomorrow, folks. I am assuming uh, that uh, maybe, maybe she'll make it. I really don't know. Um, I watched the live feed of her weigh-in, dude. She yeah. did not look good. She was it, pretty. They, they they gave her the ring, obviously, so she could weigh in with no with no clothes, right? And then she she clothed up again for the photo op, and she could barely. She was like stumbling a little bit, oh. moving off the scale and stuff. She does not look good at all. <sighs> Jesus, Jesus. And she honestly, was whole, he, she was trying to flex because you, you could see her whole body shaking. Like, <laughs> oh, fun. That's always fun. You know, here's the funny part about this. It's like, dude, that was actually one of the better fights on the card. It got it got. It got crushed by the fans because they made it the main event, but it wasn't. It's not a bad fight by any stretch of the imagination. It's just Jesus, man. That card is just not great. <laughs> you want to talk about filler? Oh God, uh, what are you gonna do? This week on World of Basketball, Hall of Fame coach and Iona head coach Rick Pitino joined the show, and he spoke about the crazy eccentric owner of his old team, Panathinaikos. He was fined uh, $300,000 for 
After a victory, he went in the official's locker room and threatened the mothers, the daughters, the sisters of all the referees and told the referees they would not get out of Greece alive. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, and Apple Podcasts. I've been wanting to talk some boxing here on the show. All right, joining us now on the hotline is a gentleman who you know from the show very well. He writes over at ESPN, one of the great boxing scribes of our time. Actually, now I have it back. I can handle it. It is the one and only Steve Kim. Hi, Steve. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Luke, I am doing well. Hope you're safe and sound out there on the East Coast. Yep, doing my best out here. Uh, all right, so let's talk about a few things. There's a lot going on in boxing, even though there's not a whole lot going on in boxing. Let's talk first and foremost about the stuff that's airing on ESPN. Two top-ranked shows. I'll tell you what I like, I'll tell you what I don't like, and then you react and tell me the same for yourself. Here's what I like. I actually think it looks pretty good on TV. I like the set, it doesn't feel super isolated. I don't feel like I'm, I don't know, like a warehousey kind of. This is a weird situation. I like the colors. I mean, they, I thought they did. I thought Top Rank and ESPN did a pretty good job with it. The fights themselves have not been great. Uh, yesterday's card was better. The card on Tuesday sucked, although Shakur Stevenson's pretty good. But then yesterday, the main event ending the way that it did was just sort of like really weird. So. Uh, you know, a bit of a mixed bag. I know they're trying. Where are you on all of that? Well, Tuesday, the best thing you could say about it is that they kicked off and they launched. I think Top Rank's been pretty honest in saying that the first couple of weeks, logistically, it was just very difficult to make the superior matchups given the fact there are travel restrictions. And also, Luke, as of about four or five weeks ago, most gyms were not open. And it was hard to get sparring partners. So, you know, I give everyone a break. These first couple of shows for every company and every network, it's going to be a snowball effect where you have to kind of build into it. I think the schedule for ESPN gets much better, especially starting probably with the Maloney brothers, who have two pretty good fights coming up in about two weeks. I actually like next week's stuff featuring Josh Greer, uh, Giovanni Santiana against DeMarco. You know, you go back to the production uh, Luke, I think that's a very good point that, you know, I remember when we first got locked down and the WWE did a couple of shows that went on, and I think it was a SmackDown, and the, the room was too large. You just saw swaths of empty seats, and it just looked bad. It didn't sound very good. I think every single network that is moving forward with this endeavor has to realize you have to make it cozy, and you have to make it intimate. I don't know if the sound effects thing that ESPN is doing actually works, but I will say this, Luke. I'm not a big UFC fan, but I do watch, and I have a partner that really likes it in Mario Lopez. We went to watch UFC 249, which ended up being a very good card. Uh, I could certainly appreciate the two-sided action. We had a somewhat small gathering of people watching it. And the thing that I noticed that if you're at home and you're watching a fight card of any sort without an audience, as long as the fights are really good, and you're with other people, and you're talking about the fight. Luke, our experience was you really didn't care or notice that there was no one out there in the audience watching that in person. So a lot of the, the um, satisfaction or your uh, viewing experience and what you think of it will be directly tied into how good the programming is. If you have really good fights, you'll get into the fights, and it could be an echo chamber in there, and you can hear crickets. It wouldn't matter. 
I've seen fights with 20,000 people where it's an awful fight and it wouldn't have mattered one way or the other. It's just a bad fight. So I think the staging of top ranks been superior. They're very good at that type of stuff. I expect Showtime, Fox, and eventually The Zone and Golden Boy, which I believe they're going to have a card July 4th. They are probably all taking notes from the way UFC and Dana White executed their vision and then top rank. I give any of these companies that are doing it very early and jumping out in front a lot of credit because these protocols are forever evolving. There are issues coming up literally the day of the fight that they had never thought of. So I just think personally, Luke, you're right. It wasn't Ollie Frazier out there, especially on Tuesday. The victory in itself was just getting it started. Uh, is there any fight currently booked anywhere that fans should pay attention to? One that I really like is a junior welterweight battle between two legitimate top 10 fighters. I believe it's going to happen in the first week of July. It's going to be on ESPN. It's going to be Ivan Baranchek, who held an IBF junior welterweight title last year, lost to Josh Taylor against Jose Zapata, who I know more than a few people thought may have beaten Jose Ramirez, but that fight was in Fresno, so you know where the scorecards were going there. That's a really good fight. Also, sometime later in July... You're going to have a WBO light heavyweight eliminator because that title is empty. They're holding a four-man tournament. You're going to have a hard-hitting Joe Smith taking on Eleder Alvarez, the former WBO champion. Those two fights stand out right away. And I'm hearing about some other fights. Also, going into August, Jose Ramirez, the unified junior welterweight champion. I hope the third time's a charm. He's going to take on his, um, I believe it's his WBC mandatory against Victor Postal. Now, Luke, interesting note on that fight. That fight has been canceled due to the coronavirus, both in China and in the States. First on February 1st, I believe, and then it was on May 9th. So the hope is to get that off in the first week of August, last what I was told. All right, so let's go around a bit of the horn here for what's happening in boxing beyond, again, the stuff that's kind of already on TV or headed our way. Obviously, this big news about Fury and Wilder, Fury and AJ, the last I saw was that Fury and Wilder might fight in either Macau or Vegas in December, and then Fury's going to fight AJ after that. There's a two-fight deal. What, what, what can you tell us about those three fighters? Well, the heavyweights, you know, <laughs> when we look at the heavyweight division, I think it's interesting that they're making so many plans. I still think Deontay Wilder is an extremely dangerous guy. We, we all know his flaws, but we all understand that on any given night, you hit the guy the right way, especially him, a lot can happen. And there's also complications in terms of that whole heavyweight scenario. I know that there's a guy by the name of Alexander Usyk that – believes that he has a right to a mandatory given his status with the WBO. Spoke to Eddie Hearn about two days ago, and Eddie admits it, and, and he asked to because it's his guy. Dillian White has been the WBC mandatory, or at least the number one since I believe George Herbert Bush was the president, not even W. So that, that has to be rectified. So, again, we've reported about it a lot. But there's two guys by the name of Kubrat Pulev and Deontay Wilder that can have a lot to say about what takes place. I've seen this scenario before. I remember years ago, this is when before I even started covering boxing, Tommy Morrison had an $8 million payday waiting on the table against, I believe it was Lennox Lewis. So they, they scheduled this tune-up fight against a you know, mid-level guy by the name of Michael Bench. Uh, it's thought to be a walkover. 
Michael Bent knocks out Tommy Morrison in one round. $8 million down the tube. Um, I remember Buster Douglas when he fought Mike Tyson February 10th of 1990. People forget Evander Holyfield was there ringside. Because after that fight, they were going to announce the first version of Tyson Douglas. And Evander Holyfield had a $12 million payday waiting for him. And then Buster Douglas upset the apple cart. So, uh, you know, there's plans. But there is that old saying, Luke, you want to make God laugh, make him. Uh, so what is your expectation? If you had to say, uh, you know, um, what Steve Kim, what he predicts will actually happen, give us a sense of how things will go by the end of, let's say, first quarter of 2021. What will have definitely taken place? Well, I expect Joshua to beat Pulev. I just think he's a better all-around fighter, better athlete. I Pulev's a tough, rugged guy. I just think he's a little bit too raw technically. I do think Tyson Fury will find a way, one way or the other, to defeat Deontay Wilder. Let, let's face it, out of, what, uh, 19 rounds that they fought, you can make the argument that Tyson Fury has not only evened up the number of knockdowns and scored a stoppage, he's won 14 rounds. So all that will take place, in my view. That's my crystal ball. So according to Eddie Hearn, he believes that this fight will probably take place sometime in the late spring, early summer. Now, this is going to disappoint a lot of British boxing fans. I do not believe this fight, should it occur between two big English guys, or pretty iconic, will not take place in the U.K. It'll probably take place somewhere in the Middle East, most likely Saudi Arabia, or one of those cities that we've known so well the last couple of years. Money talks. To finance this particular venture, you're going to have to exhaust every single dollar and cent and given what I have seen out of both heavyweights, and this is assuming that Dillian White and Alexander Usyk are taken care of and step aside, I would make Tyson Fury about a two-and-a-half-to-one favorite over Anthony Joshua. Hmm. That's going to be interesting. Steve Kim joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. Uh, Steve, what is this whole bit about the Irish mob boss that Tyson Fury knows that helped make this fight? Is there, what is the story there? Yeah, Daniel Kinahan. I'll be honest. I'm an American. I didn't know much about it till about two, three weeks ago. Uh, look, boxing has shady characters. This is nothing new. And I don't know much about it, and I'm trying to read more about it. I really try to concentrate on the fights, believe it or not. But um, I think the biggest mistake that everyone made here was mentioning his name. That, that's the way I feel about it. If it's a character of this particular nature, I think there's a thing called being a silent partner. My view is they should have kept him silent. And I don't, I don't know what the ramifications are um, in, in having him involved. Uh, but at the same time, we have to be honest about it. Luke, if you're a boxing fan and this guy's helping make fights happen, do you think the average Joe really cares? No, not even a little. There we go. Yeah, interesting. Um, all right, so there's obviously some other pieces around boxing that are beyond just the heavyweights and then the stuff here. Uh, what is... Um, Okay, so obviously a bit of a disclosure. I work with Showtime, but on the digital side, and they don't tell me anything. Is there going to be some kind of fight between Leo Santa Cruz and Gervonta Davis, or is it going to in September, or, or are you hearing anything on that side, or is this budding beef that's happening between Davis and uh, Ryan Garcia going to mean anything? <laughs> no. Yeah, they're jousting over social media. That, that's, that's pretty compelling there. Um, 
my understanding is I've spoken to Leonard Elderby about this, who's the head of Mayweather Promotions, and he's been very forthright on the record. He says that fight will happen. They have to figure out now exactly when and where that fight can happen, given the social distancing laws that are currently in place. Look, Cervanta Davis is a draw. I mean, last year he sold over 38,000 tickets and did really well in major markets like Washington, D.C., and then I believe Atlanta. So he's one of those fighters where the live gate actually matters. A lot of fighters, it doesn't matter whether they fight in front of me or you or 20,000 people. It matters for Gervonta because it's a large piece of this financial pie. The other factor is it is going to be a pay-per-view fight from what I'm understanding. I'm not so sure given the fact that over 35 million Americans have lost their jobs. Luke, how many people really have discretionary income for pay-per-views right now? And I'd say post-Canelo, after he went to the zone, who knows where the pay-per-view business really is at this point? So there are things to figure out in terms of that. As it relates to his back-and-forth thing with uh, Ryan Garcia, the Internet King, here's the reality. Ryan Garcia is with Golden Boy, so he's with The Zone. Javonta Davis is a Showtime PBC entity, so there are some significant hurdles that have to be cleared uh, for that fight to take place. I don't see that fight taking place for at least another year because with the money that they're going to want, you're going to have to build that a little bit. And I know some people hate to hear that about marinating fights, but that is the reality. And right now, Ryan Garcia is at a loggerhead with Golden Boy over what he's going to get for his upcoming fight. And this was just two fights into a long-term deal that they everyone labeled and celebrated as the richest contract ever for a prospect back in September as, as it was inked. So there's a lot of things that have to happen for that particular matchup. This is the part I don't understand about the guys who want the gate. I mean, obviously, I understand what they're saying that, um, you know, I get a cut of that. And for the right kind of fighter, that can be a significant portion of their income. They're not going to want to compete. But the reality is, okay, if you look at New Zealand or uh, Serbia, for example, they're having fans back in attendance. I think Serbia, even if you didn't know this, uh, Steve, they had 25,000 people back in a stadium. Now, the stadium is supposed to seat 50,000 people, so there was still some distancing going on, but this is also a country that had total 200 deaths of in coronavirus. It is nothing more than the flu to them, right? And New Zealand has, for all intents and purposes, for now, eradicated it. I don't know if we're ever going to get to that point anytime soon, so like, oh, I'm going to wait out for the situation to be better. We can let fans in, and I can get a bigger gate. I don't know when that's supposed to be. Maybe I'm being a nervous Nelly and it ends up being in the fall. I have a suspicion it's not going to happen anytime soon. At some point, this is my prediction, Steve, they're going to have to bend if they want to fight. Now, when that is, I don't know. But like holding out and just waiting for the the stadiums to fill again? mm, I'm skeptical, Steve. Where are you? Yeah. I mean, look, I, I happen to believe, and I'm not one of these people that was paralyzed by fear over this, okay? But... Being realistic, I don't believe we'll have full capacity at any, any sporting event till at least the first quarter of 2021. But you're right. There, there's a way to do this, though. And Bob Arum has spoken to me and other media outlets about this. The Raiders have this really big new stadium in Las Vegas, right? Allegiant Stadium, I think it's called. And yep. I think it holds like 100,000. I don't know what the exact capacity is. He has spoken openly about fights like Lomachenko, Tiafima Lopez taking place there 
where you could use the whole building but only use every second or third seat. So it may look funny, but perhaps in a stadium like that, you could have twenty-five to 30,000 people there. Now, also another development, and I need to follow up on this with some people in the Lone Star State. Remember this. Texas is now allowing 50% capacity for their sporting events. Okay, and you know how I think I was very influenced by their love of football and how important it is to their culture, but they've also hosted boxing events, and I believe, from what I've been told, Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys, they will make a run at some boxing events. So there's a way you could do it, but Luke, I do agree with you. I don't think we're going to have seat-to-seat capacity for at least four or five months or the rest of 2020. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this all goes. Well, it is still, nevertheless, a, uh, a great time. If you want more of Steve's work, you can catch it over at ESPN. He does some of the best that's out there. Steve, always appreciate your time and insight, and uh, enjoy your weekend, and be safe. Absolutely, Luke. You stay safe out there anytime. There he is. Okay, great stuff from him. Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling, this is Busted Open. WWE Hall of Famer, Devon Dudley. We don't have Dr. King anymore. We don't have Malcolm X. We don't have some of the great leaders of yesterday that led these peaceful marches and that got results. We need leaders that are respected in the black community that black people will listen to. Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 9 to noon Eastern on Sirius XM5. Nation channel 156 well joining us now uh she's here all show actually but i'm just sort of introducing her now she is when she's not spitting on peasants and telling you that all lives matter she is uh, here on the show screening calls and doing many other things it's 4k kelly it's rich lives matters i think is the exact slogan is that right kelly you're the worst. It's always something new, and it gradually gets worse every time. I, I have nowhere to go but to escalate, so that is what I do. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm happy to be here. It's been forever since I've worked one of your shows. Yeah, what are you up to these days besides collecting a check on SiriusXM's Dime for nothing good? Oh, stop. I actually, I started drinking again. I was on my, <laughs> like, my no-drinking cleanse that lasted 85 days, but I'm That's back. pretty good. That's pretty good. Honestly, that's great, but... I have a name to live up to. So the white claws are coming off the shelves. I started going to target as a way to pass time because there's nothing else to do. And yeah, I'm working. That's working and working out watching some shows. Surprise. Are your gyms open? Are you working out at home? Working out at home. Gyms aren't open yet. Long Island just entered phase two. So outdoor dining is now a thing. No, you can do outdoor dining in phase one. Can you? Yeah. DC has outdoor indoor dining as phase two. Oh. At least it is here. I mean, I don't really know. I guess it could be different for every state. First of all, I think we have a bit of an update here from 4K Kelly. 4K Kelly, what is the update we have related to tomorrow night's UFC fight card? So the main and co-main are happening. This is um, Jose Vargas again. So coming from him. Jessica, I will forfeit 25% of her purse and Carl Roberson will forfeit 30% of his purse. Brutal. Brutal. By the way, he might get cut if he loses Cobb, right? I mean, you miss weight not once, then twice for the same fight. You blew up their plans twice. I mean, a bare minimum, they're going to make him go up to 205, right? They they might cut him after this. It's not inconceivable. I've been giving most of these guys a pass for missing weight. And I almost think it's unfair for them to lose like percentages of the purse with how fast these fights are coming together in the middle of a pandemic. 
Uh, but Roberson now, man, this is like two different events. He should have been on weight. Yeah, I think yeah, is bad too. First one, I'll cut you a break. Second one, new. No. And yeah, and by how much he missed it, it's just. It's just ridiculous. Okay. In any event, all right. Well, we want to do a bit of a quarantine corner. We have imaging for, for this, right, Cobb? I think we do. Yes, yes we do. Yep. All right. Well, without further ado, all of us will participate. It's time now for a TLTS edition of Quarantine Corner. Stuck inside with nothing to do? The Luke Thomas Show has you covered. Luke Thomas is here to give you the finest viewing recommendations for shows. Tiger King on Netflix, bro. That is the one to go to. Movies. It didn't win awards by accident. Parasite is the best movie out right now. Or to run through the tips the internet has to offer to see which activities are worth your time. Welcome to the Quarantine Corner. All right, time now for Quarantine Corner. So we've got Cobb here. We've got Kelly here. We actually were going to do it yesterday, and then Cobb was like, well, Kelly's going to be on the show on Friday. We should do it with her. So Kelly... uh, you know, you're not usually one that understands anything that's happening in the wider world. But I'm imagining during all of this crazy time, you have taken it upon yourself to see what's out there on the old boob tube. Is that a fair assessment of things? That is definitely a fair assessment. I've come around to TV shows, I think. <clears throat> all right. So what? give us a recommendation from 4K Kelly. What is something that everyone should pay attention to during the quarantine? Because, you know, we're not out of the woods on this thing yet. And who knows if it's going to get worse in certain places, which, by the way, it is getting worse in certain places. But uh, for now, what's a good quarantine wreck? So I've watched a few things, but this past week I started the confession tapes on Netflix. And I am watching (laughs) numerous episodes in a row because it's insane. So this is I've seen some of these. So this is the show where. They go over famous cases where basically people confess to crimes, but then when you look at these situations, these confessions don't hold up. Either they were coerced or the person wasn't mentally fit or, you know, some other kind of explanation. Uh, Here's the problem with this recommendation, Kelly. There's virtually no happy endings. You think, oh, we're going to tell the story of this guy who falsely confessed and then the dude's still in jail. No, it's horrible. I mean, especially I watched the first two episodes, which have to do with the same case. And I Mm -hmm. really thought that by the end, judging by everything I saw that these, Oh, I don't want to give it away, but yeah, I mean, you just did actually, there was no happy ending and I was really upset, but I still wanted to watch it. I haven't been watching anything super lighthearted. The episode with the two Canadian kids. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I thought for sure there was going to be a happy ending. Nope. Like, come on. Nope. And these guys, I'll I'll, I'll spoil it a little bit. They got sent to jail with a police tactic that is not even legal in the United States. Uh, And by the way, now it's not legal in Canada. But at the time they got hit up for it, it was legal in Canada. So and just a few years later, it wasn't even legal in Canada. Like, and they can't get there. And they've, they've both have exhausted all of their, uh, 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 what do you want to call it? Legal challenges. And one of them has been in solitary confinement for years. And his parents are even saying like, when you visit him now, he's not the same person. Like he's, he, it has damaged him mentally. Like you, the show is over and you're like, wow, I know I need a shower. I need a good cry. Thanks for the recommendation there. Uh, the sadness porn of, of Kelly. Thank you very much. <laughs> no, it's a good show, though. I mean, it's sad, but not everything in this world is happy. Uh, that's true. That's true. Is that the only thing that you have to recommend to our audiences here? 
So I have another one, but it's also not lighthearted, but it's another oh Netflix show, Trial by Media. Have you Ooh, seen any of those? I have seen this one. These are not all, this is not as sad as the confession right. tapes, but go ahead. It's just eye-opening. Like, yeah, ex- explain the people, premise. Right, so people, for people that haven't seen, they cover these famous court cases and they see how the media coverage of them impacted them in a way. Um, and it's like super eye-opening just to see literally how the media can impact a court case that they had virtually obviously no involvement in, but just the way that their coverage is. And this one's pretty insane. It's uh, what, six episodes, I think six or seven episodes. So it doesn't take all that long, but it's. Yeah. And each one, each one, like the confession tapes is a different, a different case. Yes. Like completely different, super interesting. So I would recommend that too. The one that I thought was the most interesting was Cobb. Have you seen either of these shows? Trial by Media, I had watched the first two or three, and I never watched uh, the last half. But yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the confession show, but I have been watching Trial by Media. Okay, have we all seen the Jenny Jones episode? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one is interesting. So for folks who may not know, this is not spoiling it because this is a real thing that happened. There used to be all these daytime shows, Springer, Jenny Jones, Ricky Lake, blah, blah, blah. And on an episode of uh, the the Jenny Jones show, they were doing secret crushes where they you know bring someone out and then they tell they have a crush on someone and then they bring that person out and there's always two people on stage. So the person who is not in the know doesn't know which person has a crush on them. And it turned out that the guy uh, who was brought out unsuspectingly was told that one of his sort of like neighbors in the area, a guy he sort of formally knew, but they were not friends or necessarily uh, as a gay guy, uh, had a crush on him and the guy who ha- was being crushed, so to speak, was straight. Anyway, he was so uh, embarrassed by this, uh, he murdered the guy later. And so the question was, to what extent was this guy, I mean, you should not be humiliated by something like that, but to the extent you harbor a worldview where that could be humiliating to you, to the extent that they did this, you know, and purposely manipulated everybody, did Jenny Jones have any culpability? Did you guys think they had any culpability? Some, I feel like, yeah. Because if you're going by the strict legal definition, it's like, would this have happened if this didn't happen? So it was an exploitative show, like a lot of those shows were in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, yeah, they had some liability in there. What about you, Kelly? I feel the same exact way. I couldn't believe that. I mean, obviously I can, but like shows like that were a thing, really. Yeah, they were but everywhere. I was. Just, I mean, obviously this guy's reaction to it was disgustingly extreme but i do think because of how like exploitative it was that they do have some culpability for yeah sure. i mean yeah i don't know what the again this was it ended up being a bit of a first amendment case in which case you know they were you can follow the trial but i you know, i don't know what the legal limits are or what legal remedies they're entitled to but there's no doubt in my mind they absolutely exploited these people for ratings you know, of so course. that that's that. So, all right, two very sad and uh, horrible recommend the good recommendations, but they will not make you cheerful about the world while you are living in a time of rioting, protesting, and a pandemic. Cobb, do you have something on the cheerier side for us? I don't. The only thing I've really seen in the last few weeks, I just I just watched it the other night. Uh, Netflix just came out with this. I think it's three or four part series on Jeffrey Epstein. Yes. Case. The, the, the I, I watched the whole good. thing. Yeah, it's very good. And like, there were aspects of this case that I didn't even realize went down. Just some of the corruption and everything that went on. And it's kind of amazing what you can accomplish if you have a ton of money. 
and get away with something for as long as I got away with it. Kelly, have you seen this? No, I actually haven't. The Jeffrey Epstein is a four part documentary on Netflix. Um, the first episode, they bring out women who here's what, here's what his bit was. He would through one mechanism or another, he would invite underage women, not always underage, but very commonly underage. Okay. And by underage, I mean, sometimes 17, sometimes 14, or even potentially a little bit younger than that. He would invite them over to give a massage under the premise, uh, or he would get someone to invite them over for a massage under the premise. Hey, there's this old dude. He likes to get massaged, but, uh, it's an easy way to make like 200 bucks. All you gotta do is massage him. It's whatever. And they would often prey on people who were economically disadvantaged to do this. Again, they had a series of mechanisms by which they would recruit them and they would go over and it would always start quite innocently. And then it would turn into, the worst thing you could ever imagine, right? And the, the the first episode, there's like one or two people for like the first 30 minutes, and you're like, okay, this is obviously horrible, but, it, you know, uh, and this guy deserves to be in jail, but, like, this is not the monster everyone told me about. And then after that, it's, it is woman after woman after woman after woman to the point where you, at, by episode four, you cannot keep track of how many there are. We are talking easily Cobb, back me up easily into the hundreds of victims if that's and i think honestly that might be being conservative true or false true and i think there was maybe like 30 women in the case that uh, everyone knew about where he finally went down but like that's probably a fraction of how many he actually did this to like yeah and when you listen to the women it was literally the same story same story like the same way they were brought in the, the recruiting process has really creeped me out the most is that he had people who were willing to help him do this he had and other, he, vic- he had, he had, he got victims to recruit other victims. Yeah. On top of having his own, you know, three or four women who helped recruit, who helped recruit these women on top of it. Yeah. Like, it is, it, it was insane to watch. And just like the level of intimidation he would try to do. Like, even when he was like under investigation, like paying for private detectives to go follow the victims. It, it's absolutely insane the lance this guy went to yeah i didn't know how bad it was and at first i was like okay this is very very bad but i just didn't understand why there was media obsession over a guy who might have had a handful of cases or something and then you realize and i'm trying to diminish a handful of cases i just mean like why would there be such attention over something like this and then you realize dude this guy is a a not just a predator a super predator i gotta say also you know who comes out looking real bad in this documentary cop two names bill clinton and alan dershowitz trump doesn't come out looking all that great either but i did not think he came out looking as bad as bill clinton and then the worst of them by far was alan dershowitz do you agree with that is that your power ranking and who looked bad um i might would you put trump and clinton on the same uh, Trump and Clinton on the same because even the victims said like yeah we saw them around but we never saw them do anything like you would think the victims would actually like out them if they if they saw anything yeah that's true um, Dershowitz Dershowitz looks bad but at the same point I almost give him credit he faced everything head on man he could have just said I don't want to do this Netflix documentary but he he goes head first into all of it from even his, he... from even like yeah. his uh, responsibility to defend Jeffrey Epstein and meeting the the because one of the victims is, is charging him too. Yes, he, one of the main yeah, victims. Yeah. Uh, so one of the one of the one of the one of the principal victims says that again. This is her allegation that Dershowitz engaged in uh, in uh, all kinds of different 
Well, she was you know, essentially trafficked to him, is what she was yeah. what she was claiming. Right. And I, I think the <laughs> to me the worst one was it Prince James. Oh, a pr- yeah, one of the one of the the the, the royalty guys, yeah. Who's who's literally photographed with this girl who's accusing him, and he's like, I don't remember her. <laughs> it's like, dude, who told you that was the good move? Like, what do you mean you don't remember? Yeah, like they like you've seen the photo. He's like, yeah, I've seen the photo. I I, I don't remember this girl. It's like that's uh, you definitely did it, guy. <laughs> like, you definitely absolutely did what they're, what they're accusing you of. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. He faced the music too in a British interview, and he didn't come off looking too great either. Uh, Alan Dershowitz, dude, why were his teeth so yellow? Did you notice that? Yeah. That dude had the yellowest teeth. Wait, I have to look this up now. (laughs) I'm not saying he's always had yellow teeth. I'm saying in the documentary, Alan Dershowitz, it's like, dude, did you eat butter before this? What? Why are your teeth the color of, you know, gold except not shiny? Jesus Christ. I mean, I just never seen teeth that yellow on a living human being. You ever seen like George... George Washington's wooden teeth. It looked like that. I will say this, though. Like, if you have, you know, aspirations of being a lawyer, Dershowitz kind of lays it out of what it's going to be like to be a defense attorney. Of, like, because his job, essentially, they were saying, like, oh, you were putting blame on the victim. He's like, my job is not to put blame on the victims. My job is to discredit their story. Like, your, your, your duty is to your client, and you have to do what you got to do to get them off the rap. Like, that's the, that's the reality of being a defense attorney, if that's your aspiration out there. Yeah, I'm looking at pictures now of Dershowitz. My man's got some yellow ass teeth. Yeah, those wow. Look like he took yellow paint to them and then <laughs> photos. Uh, so for my very uplifting choice, I was actually going to go with the Epstein documentary as well because uh, I had seen it. It's pretty good. I'll tell you what I did get, guys. I don't have anything new exactly, but I added on, I told Cobb this, I added on HBO Max as part of my YouTube TV subscription. Uh, I finished Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley. Have you guys seen that? No. I didn't never watch seen... it religiously. I watched like the first two seasons like all the way through, and I, I here and there on others, and then I watched the last season. Well, the, the show has wrapped. There's no other – I mean, I, I can't imagine there's another season based on the way it ended. Um, so you can watch the whole thing through. The episodes are short. I think Mike Judge, the guy behind that, who's the guy behind King of the Hill, is the guy behind uh, Beavis and Butthead, probably one of the best judges of American life and character that there, there ever could be. And he just really understands all the different pockets of humanity really well. So um, it's a really great show. But the service itself is great, man. Like, I'm not saying, I don't know if it's worth it to you or not, but it's the same price as HBO Go. It's literally identical. And you get everything that HBO already had, plus a series of you know all other kinds of TV shows um, that came from Warner Media. So I've still mostly just gone through a lot of the HBO stuff because I haven't had it for a while. I didn't even know that Silicon Valley had finished. But uh, I got to tell you, HBO Max did not have the best launch. They did not really like make a compelling case for their services. But then when I got it and I started using it, I have to tell you, I have been very pleasantly surprised by the offerings. Tons and tons and tons of good stuff on there. So if you're willing to pay about 15 bucks a month, uh, it's a good option for you. I'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.